Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon. Calvary meets in the Joppa Falston area between Baltimore and Bel Air, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. Come join us on a Sunday. Our service info is at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. Well, Merry Christmas. Uh, I'd like to turn your attention this morning to the ninth chapter of Isaiah. Uh, and before we start reading, uh, I want to tell you something, and that's that God loves you. <laughs> and one of the reasons you can know that God loves you, that he loves us, is because Jesus was born. And this child who, whose birthday billions of people celebrate every year, this child changed everything. Today's passage in Isaiah will not only describe to us who this child is, but how this child, Jesus our Lord, will and does change everything from our souls to our families to our countries, everything. <laughs> the moment Jesus was born and came into this world, everything changed and for the better. And I want to I quiz you all before we start. Has the change stopped? No, it is continuing from age unto age. Let's get into this. Isaiah 9, verse 1. <laughs> but, well, there was a sermon right there, isn't there? But, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former times, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Jesus is the great light that shined into a dark and dying world. Jesus is the great light. Now, if you remember, all the way back to the book of Exodus, Moses occasionally would get in front of the presence of God. And when he would come from the presence of God, it says, the Acts tells us that his face shone like an angel. But after a time, the light that was radiating off of Moses' face would slowly start to diminish. It would lessen. But here is Jesus. And he too has come from the presence of God. But unlike Moses, Jesus' light, Jesus' glory never fades. The light of Jesus that shines on Bethlehem and then on Galilee and then to the ends of the earth is eternal. Isaiah describes Jesus' arrival like a sunrise. And what is the sunrise? But the beginning of the day's sunlight. Jesus' glory, his light, may have started in Bethlehem with the star and the shepherds. Remember, it says they were bathed in light. And then spiritually, in, this, in the land of Galilee, spiritually. But this was going to intensify with time and never diminish. You know, in, in some of the last verses of the Bible, it says, When God creates, behold, I saw new heavens and a new earth. When we are in that new earth, John says, I notice I saw no moon or no sun because its lamp is the lamb. The light that announced the birth of the babe that brought light into Galilee will end up glowing brighter than the sun itself for the rest of eternity. 
This light continues to intensify. And this is so important for us to lay a hold of, the, the, the growing light of the glory of God. So I love church history, but I've noticed there can be a type of romanticism about the early church, like they all had it together and we don't. But when you read the early church fathers, you come to understand they had a whole lot of problems too. But as we think of Jesus' light and glory not diminishing, we have to remember what the prophet, uh, what God spoke through Habakkuk. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There is an element that the, that the church grows larger with time. That God's glory, the great commission advances over time. This is how the book of Acts begins. And God added to their number daily. It had never stopped. And when Jesus' ministry concluded, there were 120 believers up in the upper room in Jerusalem who firmly believed. Today there are over 2 billion people on the planet who call themselves by his name, Christ, Christian, in Christ. The light, the sun that rose in Galilee has intensified, not diminished. And Jesus taught this in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away, Jesus says. You imagine being the disciples and Jesus says, it's going to be best if I leave. You're thinking, no, it's not. No way. He says, it'll be best if, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And God does this through his people. What did Jesus tell us on the Sermon on the Mount? That we were a light to the world. We were a city on a hill that could not be hidden. What this means is that we are the continuation, the extension of him. We're the extension of the Father's light, who is the Father of lights. The light of the glory of God did not peak in the first century. <laughs> it is growing in intensity. If the church slowly starts dying when Jesus leaves, Jesus is a liar. He says it would continue to grow. That the glory of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so we are growing in intensity. We're growing in the glory of God. We are advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth. Right now, there are over half a billion Christians in Africa alone. <laughs> There's over 100 million Christians in China right now. 10 million Christians in Egypt. Egypt, of all places. 10 million Christians. The church is advancing. The light is growing. Now, we don't feel that here in America, we feel like it's all crumbling. That is not what's happening globally. The church, the glory, the light that God brought into the world is only growing brighter. Now Isaiah goes on to say, verse 3, <coughs> excuse me, for you have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, ready to eat. I get that one. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. Jesus isn't just for some people, he was for all people. 
The nations, it says, have come to the knowledge of God, to the truth, and we have increased in joy. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. Verse 5, I love verse 5. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tolment and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Isn't that awesome? If you've spent any time studying world history, then you know the story of mankind is very bloody with lots of war, with lots of prejudice, with lots of rage. But with the arrival of Jesus, the nation's war boots and bloody uniforms begin to be burned in fire. How does that work? Paul talks about it in Galatians when he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. In Jesus Christ, we learn to forgive, don't we? And we learn to love much because we have been forgiven much. This is Christianity. We learn to turn the other cheek. Cheek, not cheech. Wow. Cheech and chong on the brain. <laughs> I am hungry. Uh, <laughs> we've been forgiven. We learn to stop hating people that are different than us. We burn our war boots and choose a different way, a better way, a peaceful way, a lovely way, a joyful way, a godly way. Then it says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The, the hope of humanity, the light of the nations, the good news of great joy, as the angels sang, has arrived, and it has arrived as a little baby placed in a manger. And this child, Jesus, was not earned by us. It says he was given. Jesus is a gift. And he is a gift to the nations. And it says, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. What's that glorious thing that Paul tells us in Philippians? That in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Kurios, King. The government will be upon his shoulders. And it says, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Isn't that wonderful? You ever need counsel? You ever feel a little lost sometimes and need someone to give you some wisdom? Then turn to Jesus. Read what Jesus says and apply it. Now listen, a counselor doesn't do you any good if you listen to it and don't do anything they tell you. But if you listen and obey... Jesus is not just a good counselor. He's not just a great counselor. He is the wonderful counselor, the extraordinary, unparalleled counselor. You need wisdom? Turn to Christ. What's that old hymn? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And then it says, and he's mighty God. The one who loves us, the babe who came, is God. And he's not a God, he's the God. And if God is for you, who can be against you? No one. Not even taxes. <laughs> it cannot stand. He's everlasting father. Isn't that one a little bit of a head scratcher? How's the baby the everlasting father? Well, this is really puzzling until you get to the New Testament. And what does Jesus say? That I and the father are one. What does Jesus say when people, remember they said, God, can you show us the father? And he says, have you learned nothing? <laughs> 
He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus and the Father are one. God is showing us hundreds of years before Jesus was born that this baby that was coming was a direct representation of the Almighty Father himself. And they were inseparable. They were one. Then it says that he is the Prince of Peace. What did Jesus say? They will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. God's people burn their war boots. And if we follow a prince of peace, then we will be a people of peace. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And remember, that this prophecy is describing the birth of Jesus. And how did Jesus make peace for us? Because when you read Jesus' life, he sure got in a lot of fights. <laughs> At one point, you know, the only thing we see Jesus making in the entire Bible is a whip, and he uses it to chase out money changers. That doesn't, that doesn't seem like he's a monk somewhere, hum. <laughs> How did Jesus make peace with us? He made peace with us by dying on the cross for our sins. We were sinners in the hands of an angry God. God is holy and perfect and righteous, and newsflash, you are not. And if you stand before a just God on judgment day in your sin, if God's good, you're damned. But God in his everlasting kindness came and died on a cross for our sins that he may become our righteousness and that we may be punished on his, on his body. He made peace between us and the Father. And then it says, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That the message, the mission, the liberation, the peace, the light, the joy of Jesus did not stop when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. Again, it carries on from this time forth, it says, and forevermore. The birth of the babe was just the beginning, not the end. The increase of his government. The kingdom that Jesus brought into this world will never end. The kingdom marches on. And Jesus will continue to accomplish this through his people and, of course, in his final return. And the question I had was, why? Why does God do any of this? Does God need you? <laughs> no. The second God needs you, he ceases to be God because God doesn't need anything. So why does God save us? Why does God go through the trouble of being murdered to death for us? Why? And Isaiah tells us, God tells us, our last verse, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We're done our reading. This is what I want to close on, close on loved ones. The reason Jesus came into this world and was born of the Virgin Mary and placed in a manger in Bethlehem, the reason Jesus came to save mankind from our sins is because it pleased God to do it. That's it. Isaiah 9 makes it so clear that the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And the Father so does this because the Father delighted to do it. He was zealous to do it. The word zeal here in Isaiah almost means a husband's jealousy for his bride. It's an intense, passionate love for his people. 
God so loved the world, he sent his son into the world to die because he is passionately in love with you as a good husband is for his wife. You know, last week, my whole family had the flu. It was terrible. And I'm like, God, Christmas is coming, you know. I don't know if you know this, but I need to get better. <laughs> and I kept asking him in this time, what do you want me to, because I had a whole nother message I had to throw away. It wasn't right. I said, God, what do you want? What do you want your people to know? And all I kept thinking and all I kept reading was let them know that God loves them. So I'm going to obey. God loves you. And God did all that he did and sacrificed all that he sacrificed because he's jealous for you. Because he's intensely, passionately in love with you. And he loves you so much, he was willing to take on human flesh. You see, if God goes to the cross, he doesn't die. God can't die. But if God is both truly God and truly man, he takes on the human flesh. In his humanity, he can die. And so he came as a babe and lived a perfect life and died a perfect death on the cross so that he can have you. And please understand, you did not deserve this. <laughs> and you will never deserve this. You don't deserve Jesus. This sounds a little harsh, but you don't deserve Christmas. It's canceled. No. <laughs> we are in a debt that we could never repay. Not with 10,000 lifetimes. All of the love and kindness he has shown us, we could never give back that amount to him. And yet, all God wants from us, all God wants from you in return for slaying his only begotten son, is to believe. It's the only thing he wants from you. And how did we start? A good counselor is not, doesn't be do you any good if you don't do anything the counselor told you to do. So when we believe, we then respond. All God wants from you is to believe in his son and then live like you believe it. All we need to do is believe and from that belief, we follow. And what does it mean to follow Jesus? Isaiah told us we burn our war boots. We take our garments with blood and toss them in the fire. And not just so that we can be obedient. God has no interest in us becoming obedient robots. If that was the case, he would have never given us free will. It's not just that God wants us to be obedient, but that God may use us to show his love to other people through you. What does John 3.16 say? It doesn't say, for God so loved you that he sent his son. It says that he so loved the world. God wants the world. <laughs> he wants every single soul in heaven, and he wants to use us to take it. We need to believe and follow him and rejoice at the good news. The angels commanded it. To follow him and receive his wonderful counsel and obey his commands. He who loves me, Jesus says, keeps my commandments. And we need to follow Jesus because why? He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And listen, when our lives are said and done, every single person here will have lived under some sort of master. You will have lived serving money or your body 
or your lust. But what I can tell you is that Jesus Christ is the only Lord and Master who will love you unconditionally with a holy and perfect zeal. Because let me, have you ever met a selfish person? I haven't. Do you know why? Because we're horrible masters. And we're horrible to ourselves. You think you're your own worst critic. You should see how you are to the people around you sometimes. We're terrible masters. We ask ourselves to make bricks without straw every day. But Jesus is the only good master who loves us unconditionally with a holy and perfect zeal. There is nothing better to follow. He is the top. He is perfection. He is joy. He is the Prince of Peace. You need peace? Follow the good master. So I want to close now by reading you something out of 1 John 4, 7. This was almost our third sermon that I was going to put together. <laughs> Beloved, wonder where I got that from, huh? Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you see the incarnation there? Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you see? If we accept the love of God, we then love others. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If you do not apply with the counselor's counsel, you have proven you have not come under the love of God because you're not loving in the love of God. If you believe, you follow. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe and the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with, with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he is so also are we in the world. Amen? Amen. Let's, um, let's close now, I think, in the most appropriate manner. This Jesus was born to die. Jesus came, the baby came to die. You have to understand, Jesus coming into this world was the beginning of his road to the cross. He was placed in a food trough, in a manger. He was being prepared to be consumed from the second he was born. And yet when he sits us down at his table, he says, take, eat, drink, this is my blood, this is my body. He's saying, you are taking all of the sacrifice that I put forth and are taking part of it so that we are at peace, that that the incarnation is not just the hope to the nations, it's also your hope. <laughs> uh, let's, let's do it, huh? Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, 
This is my body. Thank you, Jesus. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. God, we love you. <laughs> we thank you that you are wonderful. You are almighty God. We thank you that you have come and you have lived and you have died a perfect death that we may be saved in you. We thank you that you've gathered us here on this Christmas day <laughs> that we may celebrate the birth of your son. Thank you for bringing your people here this morning. May it profoundly change us and change the way we look at this day. Yes, it's partly about family and partly about celebration and gifts and a fat guy in a sleigh, sure, but <laughs> it's about you, God. It's about you. This is a joyous day that even if the whole world falls apart, we have partaken in your son. We praise you. Fill us with joy now and let us be intensely aware of your love for us. We pray that if anyone here that does not know you, that they may come to a saving faith in you. They may not only believe, but may follow. We pray if anyone needs prayer here, they may receive it by with our prayer team by the side of the door. God, may you be glorified in all that we say and all that we do here today. We love you, God. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary Baltimore. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. If you can't be here in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the word and join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon.